Welcome everyone to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. Today, we took a portion of one of our Monday night happy hour Zoom programs where we had a presentation by a former veteran service officer who talked a lot about the PACT Act. He presented a, a PowerPoint, gave us a lot of great details and information about it, and then we switched Gears, and we talk with our uh, normal co-host, Army veteran Ryan, all about his take on the PACT Act, information that he has through the Vet Center and what he's been able to gather. Also, his take as a post-9-11 war veteran, what it means to him that this uh, legislation has passed. So I think it's going to be a very informative uh, and educational podcast for you today. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. If you have any questions about the PACT Act, we'll have uh, some stuff in the description here that you can find online. Um, but I do understand uh, that everything is online about this. So if you need any more information, just check it out, Google it. Uh, both Ron and uh, Ryan both talk about this uh, in our separate interviews. And uh, I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you Ron for joining. Ron Gianta, um, retired, but we're employing you tonight to, to dip back into the old driver's seat and uh, give us an update on the PACT Act. Uh, I have the PowerPoints. You let me know where I need to go with it, but um, happy to have you here. That sounds great, Sean. Thank you. And okay, Sean, we ready to start with the first slide? Okay, tonight we're going to talk about the PAC Act of 2022. Next slide. The PAC Act is a new law that was just signed on August the 10th. It went into uh, existence to full effect. It actually expands the VA health care and benefits to veterans exposed to burn pits and other toxic, toxic substances. The law is going to help us provide generations of veterans and their survivors the care and the benefits that they've earned and deserved. Next slide. Okay, what is the PAC Act and how will it affect my VA benefits and care? It's perhaps the largest healthcare benefit expansion in VA history. It's actually named after Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson. And it expands and extends eligibility for VA healthcare for veterans with toxic exposures for veterans of Vietnam, the Gulf War, and post 9-11 eras. There are 20 new presumptive conditions for the burn pits and toxic exposure. It adds more presumptive exposure locations to Agent Orange and radiation. That is very, very important to all of our Vietnam veterans. There's things that come out that I didn't even was even aware about, and uh, Don Nemchek brought it to my attention. It also requires the VA to provide toxic exposure screening to every veteran en enrolled in VA healthcare. And it helps us also to improve research staff education and treatment related tox toxic exposures. And if you're a veteran or a survivor of a veteran, you can also file claims now uh, to apply for PACDAC related uh, benefits. Next slide. To get a VA disability rating, your disability must connect to your military service. And for many health conditions, you need to prove that your service caused your condition. But for some conditions, the VA is going to automatically assume or presume that service called your condition. We call these presumptive conditions. For instance, if you were boots on the ground in Vietnam for just one day, it is presumed that you were exposed to Agent Orange. And the uh, medical conditions that are a direct result of exposure to Agent Orange become presumptive conditions. Next slide. 
So let's talk about Gulf War era and post 9-11 veteran eligibility. What burn pit and other toxic exposure conditions are now presumptive? And this is a complete list that I was able to secure off of the VA website of the conditions, the presumptive conditions that have applied to veterans exposed to uh, toxic, toxic exposure and burn pits. Now, a veteran, if a veteran just goes to the VA and says, I want to file a claim for being exposed to burn pits, well, you can't really do that. But if you have been diagnosed with one of the illnesses as detailed here in this slide, you can go and file a claim with the VA. And it's a process where you fill out the forms, it goes and they have you get an exam and everything. But it's presumed, though, because of your service within the era and location, and we'll get into that, that if you do have one of these illnesses, it's presumed that uh, you were exposed to the burn pits. Next slide. Also, there are other illnesses that are also presumptive. And this is a complete list uh, as delineated in the PACT Act. So if any veteran has one of these illnesses, like let's say um, asthma, and that was diagnosed after service, it's presumed that your asthma was directly related to the fact that you were exposed to the burn pits in the, in the area of operations. Other things like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, chronic sinusitis, and I've seen a lot of claims for the chronic rhinitis and sinusitis whenever I was working for the VA helping veterans do their claims. One thing I hadn't seen until this act came through was emphysema, and that's another one that's very important. So you can see the list of illnesses that are afflicting our veterans that were exposed to the burn pits. Next slide. How do you know if you have a presumptive exposure to burn pits? Well, if you served in any of these locations listed on these slides, then it is assumed that you were exposed to the toxic toxins from burn pits. And what's really critical, look at the very bottom one, airspace above any of these locations. Let's talk about people who are flying maybe out of uh, Kuwait in aircraft and they're going into the area where the burn pits were, okay? That like in Afghanistan, uh, maybe they're flying a C-130 to go in and bring back supplies. Again, that's really important that airspace is now a consideration in the uh, assumption that you were exposed. Next slide. Locations on or after August 2nd, 1990. And that is the kickoff of Operation Desert Shield. These are those locations. Next slide. Service eligibility dates. Now, what happens here is this. You have to have at least one of these must be true for your active duty service. You must have served in the theater of combat operations during the period of war after the Persian Gulf War or you served in combat against hostile force during a period of hostilities after November 11th, 1998. What a lot of folks don't realize is we had operations Southern Watch and Northern Watch after Operation Desert Storm, where we were still putting our, for our veterans in harm's way during rotations over into the area of operations after the storm.
but also you, this must be true too. You were discharged or released on or after October 1st, 2013. Go to the next slide. If you meet the requirements listed here, you can receive care. You can enroll in special, during the special enrollment period between October 1st of 2022 and October 1st of 2023. And at least one of these must be true of your active duty service. You served in the theater of combat operations during the period of war after the Persian Gulf War. You served in combat against a hostile force during the period of hostilities after November of 1998. And both of these issues must be true. You were discharged or released between September 11th, 2001 and October 1 of 2013. And you have not enrolled in VA healthcare yet. Next slide. For Vietnam era eligibility, and this is huge, based on the PACT Act, the VA has added two new Agent Orange presumptive conditions, high blood pressure, also known as hypertension, and monoclonal gammopathy of undetermined significance, MGUS. It's like moderate elevated levels of ab ab abnormal immunoglobin protein. There's a protein that attacks your immune system called M-protein, and it's in your blood. So these are two new presumptives added to Vietnam era veterans. Next slide. Now, this is really important. What new Agent Orange presumptive locations will the VA add? Prior to this, we had flight lines in Thailand. We had the uh, DMZ in between North Korea and South Korea. And we had South Vietnam, North Korea, any place in Vietnam. And we had also Blue Water Navy within 12 miles, 12 nautical miles of the shores of Vietnam. Now, the United States government is saying any United States or Royal Thai military air base in Thailand from January 9th, 1962 through June 30th, 1976. If you were in Laos from December 1st of 65 through September 30th of 69, if you were in Cambodia at Mamat or Krek or Kampong Kam province, from April 16th, 1969 through April 30th of 1969. Guam, American Samoa in the territorial waters off of Guam or American Samoa from January 9th, 1962 through July 30th, 1980. And what I have heard is a lot of the Agent Orange drums that were done in Vietnam were shipped to Guam. Okay, so literally, a lot of the excess Agent Orange and the empty drums were sent to Guam, and Guam has become contaminated. Johnston Atoll, or on a ship that was called at Johnston Atoll from January 1st, I can't, 1970, I can't see the uh, last digit, through 72 September. to through September 30th, 1977. Right. So we're wondering, what is Johnson Atoll? It's an uninhabited island used by the United States military for nearly 70 years. The isolated atoll was under the control of the United States military. And during that time, it was variously used as a naval refueling depot, an air base, and a testing site for nuclear and biological weapons and a secret missile base. It was also a site and disposal area for chemical weapons of Agent Orange. Now, the United States Air Force controls who goes in and who comes out of the atoll. So it would have been the only way somebody would have been 
anywhere near the atoll is if they were on a mission to take something there or pick something up. But it was, this was just added to the list of places where Agent Orange is a presumed location. Let's go to the next slide. So what new radiation presumptive locations will the VA add? And this is all, by the way, done by law. The cleanup at Iwatak Atoll from January 1st of 77 through December 1 of 80. The cleanup of an Air Force B-52 bomber that was carrying nuclear weapons off the coast of Palmares, Spain from January 17th, 1966 through March 31st, 1966. Also, the response to the fire on board an Air Force B-52 bomber carrying nuclear weapons near Thule Air Base in Greenland from January 21st, 1968 to September 25th of 68. These radiation locations were never added until this new PACT Act was passed and signed. Next slide. Getting benefits. If you haven't filed a claim yet for a presumptive condition, you can always file a new claim online now. You can do it by mail. You can do it in person at, the, at your local VA Benefits Administration Center. In Pittsburgh, where the VA is located on the 17th floor of the federal building. You dial uh, area code 412-395-6160, and you can make an appointment uh, over the phone to come in and talk to a representative, an employee of the VA about your claim. But also very important, and I tell every veteran this, it's to your advantage to go and contact a veteran service organization like the VFW, the AMVETS, Vietnam Veterans of America, American Legion, Legion the DAV, and et cetera. In Pittsburgh, all of these organizations are located on the 16th floor of the federal building in downtown Pittsburgh, but they're also located in the federal buildings at other cities across the United States. If the VA has denied your disability claim in the past for one of these situations, the VA will now consider your condition presumptive and you can resubmit what's called a supplemental claim. And there's the form number and you can find it on the internet by Googling VA form 20-0995. It's a claim for almost like for asking them to reconsider your claim because you were denied and now this law has been passed and you were at this particular location like Guam and you're suffering from, let's say, bladder cancer. And it's presumed that you were, when you were at Guam during that period, you were exposed to Agent Orange. And the VA will review your claim all over again and reopen it. Next slide. Information for survivors. There's a monthly VA disability indemnity compensation, a D, what's called VADIC payments to either surviving spouses, dependent children under the age of 18 or in college under the age of 23, or a parent of a veteran who died from a service-connected disability. A one-time accrued benefit payment. You may qualify if you're the surviving spouse, dependent child, or dependent parent. And I've actually helped parents in filing claims for their uh, sons or daughters who were exposed to the contaminated water at Camp Lejeune, and they got a one-time payment. Okay, uh, healthcare through the Civilian Health and Medical Program, Department of Veterans Affairs called CHAMP VA. You may qualify if you're the survivor of a dependent of a veteran who passed, who died with a service-connected disability. And also there's also a burial allowance to help with veterans burial and funeral costs. And you may qualify to file a claim for burial allowance if you're the veteran surviving spouse, partner, 
child or parent. Next slide. So what if the VA denied my DIC claim and I think I'm eligible? Well, you can submit a new application for VA dependency and indemnity compensation. This is the form, the VA form 21P-534EZ, application for DIC. The VA form 21P-535, application for dependency. This is for the kids or for the parents and indemnity compensation by parents. Note, if the VA denied your claim in the past and you think you may be eligible now, they will try to contact you and may be able to reevaluate your claim. However, based on a number of claims being processed today, you don't have to wait. You could actually reapply. It's better to be proactive. Let's go to the next slide. Now, these are informational websites, uh, www.va.gov. Uh, basically, what they, that's the VA's website. Uh, there's also disability uh, dependency indemnity compensation website, resources to PACT Act your VA benefits. Uh, the whitehouse.gov has the statements regarding the signing of the PACT Act. And also on the bottom is uh, congress.gov. That is the actual law that you can look at and read. Everything the VA does when it comes to benefits for veterans is governed under Title 38 United States Code. Uh, it's federal law. And it has to be approved by Congress and signed off by the president. The VA just doesn't make things happen. It has to be by law. And once it's in law, the VA acts accordingly and modifies their regulations on how to process these claims. Next slide. I'd just like to say I am retired Air Force. Uh, I'm a retired VA employee. But the size and information that I presented this, for, inform, this forum is a direct result of my personal research as a citizen from various websites on the internet and the information presented. It is not a statement of the United States government. I had to say that because I'm retired from the VA. I'm a retired Air Force Colonel and I don't have a right to speak on behalf of the government. So this was all my research that I did as Todd had asked me to do. And now joining me now is Army veteran Ryan All. Ryan, uh, we just had uh, sort of our PowerPoint presentation from Ron Gianta about some of the particulars of the PAC Act. I thought it'd be a great opportunity to bring you in as a frequent co-host and a post 9-11 vet uh, to, to talk about the PAC Act. I figured we would just get sort of your take on this and what it means uh, for your generation, the post 9-11 uh, war uh, generation of vets. Yeah, well, I think it, it means a lot. And this was something that was, it felt like a long time coming. And I think it was a roller coaster of emotions, uh, watching it move through, you know, its legislative life cycle uh, in DC. And uh, as we all know, there was there was a passage and it seemed fine and then it got kicked back. And, and many of us don't know all the particulars and, and I don't want to speak too much to that, but, but it got, you know, got kicked back and people got really upset. Um, and then there was protesting involved. Uh, and then, you know, and then it eventually got passed, which is great. And I think that that's the right thing to do um, obviously. And it expands uh, not just for my generation, but for previous generations as well, like some of these healthcare benefits and, and presumptive conditions, which, uh, which Ron talked about, um, which is which is really important because it does make things a lot easier for veterans if they come in and they can prove their exposure to something and, and they have this certain list of illnesses well then it's then it's automatic and I think that's that goes counter to what so much of the stigma of applying for for benefits is because you talk with a lot of veterans and you know they've they've waited a long time for things and 
and it's really hard to get these disability claims through. And, and, and so many of those, so much of that process has improved over the years. Um, I know that when I went through that process, I was expecting it to take a long time and it actually went a lot faster uh, than I thought it would. It was, you know, four months from application to, to payment, which was very fast. Um, and I think that uh, we need to get the word out about that, that this process is quicker. So if you are, you know, nervous about applying for these benefits, I think that you should move forward and you deserve these benefits, right? So don't, uh, don't be afraid to apply for them. I think is like a, number, a big message that I want to get out, right? If you are injured and the military hurts you, like apply for your benefits, you earned them. Um, and that kind of leads me to my, my, my biggest feeling about this um, is that we do, we, we have to take care of our veterans. Um, and we've talked about this before on the scuttlebutt, but, uh, you know, this is, this is part of the cost of war, right? When we, when we say we're going to put our, uh, sons and daughters in harm's way, it's not just while they're there. Um, it, it includes everything that happens to them and everything that continues to happen to them because their life is going to be changed. Um, in a lot of ways, and their health is going to be affected in many ways, their physical health, their mental health, um, their life, their, their relationships are all going to be, are, are all going to be affected in some way by their participation in, in whatever conflict they were in. And so I think it's important to, to get that message out there as well, as this is when, when we support a conflict um, and, and putting, putting people in harm's way, like this, this has to be included in that, in that calculus as well. Uh, and so I think it's great that this, you know, legislation was passed, and I, I hope that it continues to, to move forward and, and that we can move quickly. Um, and, and in the sense of, you know, of D.C. and legislation, like this moved relatively quickly, and we are standing on the shoulders of our Vietnam veterans right now. And that's another big piece of this. Yeah. Um, these guys went through hell to get the to get the benefits that they deserved, especially when it came to Agent Orange, and it took them a long time. Um, and that has been a part of making sure that, that the population and that the, and that the legislators, you know, understand that, that these benefits need to be applied, uh, and, and, and given to service members. So I think that's like, that's a big thing is like, get your benefits. I'm glad that these are coming through. This is the, this is the cost of war and, um, and, the, and that we owe a lot to our, to our Vietnam veterans for, advocating and getting these things uh, in place so that it doesn't take us as long as post 9-11 veterans to get our benefits as it did them. Right. Yeah. Uh, is there anything that was confusing about it? Like, the, you know, the, there's a lot of information uh, that sort of came out with, with the PACT Act. Is there anything that confused you as a veteran um, that you had to sort of suss through or figure out or talk to other veterans about to, to understand? Yeah, so they had previously the VA the VA had put out a long time ago like this burn pit registry. So I was a little bit confused on like how is that interacting with this? Um, if I've registered on the burn pit registry, does that you know make me kind of automatically uh, you know uh, eligible for some of these resources? I wasn't sure. Um, and then the same thing with like what else is included in the PACT Act. Um, because there is, it, it did include like things about Agent Orange and, and, and other things like that. So, you know, still, still digging through all of that. And I think that was like the big thing. And what, um, what is kind of being uh, confused, I think a little bit is like, there's this Camp Lejeune 
mm. water piece to it and, yeah. and what those people are eligible for. And then there's like a civil lawsuit that's like separate from that, that you start, you see commercials on all the time about applying for these, you know, getting involved in this lawsuit. And um, I do want to stress that those are like two separate things. Um, you should always talk to a veteran service officer when you're talking about VA benefits. That is free. You should never pay anybody anything to talk to a veteran service officer about the veteran benefits that you're eligible for. Mm -hmm. And the lawsuit is going to be completely separate from that. So that's, that's a whole separate process. Uh, there'll probably be more guidance and, and talking points from the VA um, coming uh, out about that. But, but uh, don't let that, um, don't confuse the two, right? Like do apply for your benefits, whatever they may be, whatever you're applying for, whatever toxic exposure you're applying for, apply for those. Um, and if you then feel independently comfortable with getting involved in the lawsuit and do that separately, but that is, that is separate from a VA process. So, yeah, I think that's probably the most confusing part. And you mentioned before that, it, you know, relatively speaking for Congress, this, this actually happened pretty quickly, but how long was this, the, even the idea of the bill sort of being bounced around? Like how long did it take from, you know, people starting to advocate for the fact that, hey, I'm having uh, problems due to my exposure to burn pits to the PACT Act being passed? Yeah, well, I think the, the biggest thing was, was that, you know, it was years ago that they put out that burn pit registry. And I think behind the scenes, that kind of like got the ball rolling. Uh, and to a certain extent. So I think they've been aware of something for a long time that uh, that they needed to be a little bit more proactive with this. And um, and then you started seeing, um, you know, some deaths uh, from from things that were kind of like not quite explainable, but like, you know, when people coming back and just getting like strangely sick um, with a certain type of cancer or, or whatever, um, you know, so they they I think that is really good that they that they moved quickly. And what was interesting was like, um, uh, we've become a lot more aware in general about, you know, how exposure to toxins can have a very adverse health effect. And, and it was, you know, I think kind of fitting that, that uh, John Stewart, who was such a, uh, an advocate for the, uh, the, the firefighters on 9-11, that exposure that they dealt through, like he kind of like easily kind of straddled the bridge there to, to becoming a, a veteran or an advocate for, for veterans, um, benefits in the same way. And regardless of, you know, what you think about the guy's politics or his comedy, it doesn't quite matter, but he still was a, was a powerful voice trying to do the right thing, which was to get these benefits passed. And I think that, uh, you know, we, the veteran community in general, it was in a, a debt of gratitude. Cause like I said, this, this wasn't just for post 9-11 veterans. It was for a lot of other people. So right. I think that that's great. You know, now, when you were in Iraq, did you ever see burn pits? And did you know like what they were burning in them? Like what exactly, I know, understand technically a burn pit is you throw stuff in there and you burn it to get rid of trash, yeah. to get rid of different things. What all was being thrown into these things? So um, the most common thing was, was, was trash. Uh, but um, there were certain remote outposts that I was at where they were, you know, they were burning human waste, right? Like, uh, you know, fe human feces and urine um, and, uh, and burning those with like, you know, diesel fuel and, and literally guys having to go up there and like stir the pot. And, you know, that was, that was weird. Uh, yeah. But um, there was a couple other, uh, uh, because um, Iraqi locals would do this as well. So they don't mm. have the same kind of, uh, environmental regulations you know that, that we might have here so um I, the one of the big exposures i remember having was was uh seeing uh that was kind of a little bit of a story but uh 
I was, we were on the desert on a patrol and we got, you know, Hey, there's something weird going out here in the desert. So we want you to go check it out. And we're like, okay. So we go out there and it's night and it's dark and we're walking through the desert and we're walking towards this light and we don't know what it is, but you can see it bright as day in night vision and it's out there. So we're walking towards there. And all of a sudden we're like walking in this like mud. And I was like, that's weird. Like we're in the desert. We're, you know, miles from a river, but I'm walking through this mud and uh, we get up there. Turns out it was just a guy like burning car batteries. <laughs> and we had just walked through all of that waste of him like watering and burning these car batteries. And it was just like coming down the end of the wadi. And, wow. and uh, we had just like walked through all of that chemical waste. And uh, so he wasn't doing anything wrong. We were sitting out there to make sure he wasn't like building any IEDs or something. Right. But I remember that when I, by the time I got back to our vehicle, my feet were itchy and I took off my boots and like my, my, uh, socks were like discolored. Like they were like in a really weird color and I took those off. And so we got back and, uh, I dropped all my gear and I left my boots there. And the next day when I went out there, the boots were just like brittle. Like they just like broke apart. Like they just fell apart. Oh no! <laughs> I, was like, I was like, some of that is probably in me like right now, you know, like that's weird. So, yeah. you know, it's just all sorts of things happen, but yeah, to, in, in general, that's a specific answer to your, mm -hmm. to your question, but in general, yeah, a lot of, you know, a lot of waste of a lot of different kinds because there was no, you know, this, this is a common practice in a, in a, in a war zone. You don't have trash you know, uh, companies coming out to pick up. I mean, in some ways you do to a certain extent, but a lot of the times the most effective way to, to do it is to burn it. Right. Yeah. Um, how would a veteran make a claim or apply for the benefits? What, what's the best route for them to do that? The, the same way they would apply for any other benefits to, you know, to, to talk with a veteran service officer. So the easiest way to apply for, uh, Disability is to fill out a VA form 21-526-EZ, and you can do that by speaking with any veteran service officer, and lots of non-government organizations are going to have veteran service officers, uh, the DAV, the VFW, AMVETS, uh, and the VA has their own as well. So get in touch with a veteran service officer. Um, you should always apply also an intent to file, and then also apply uh, when you submit the, all the paperwork with the actual filing. So um, that's the easiest way to do it. And on there, you'll list kind of what you're applying for, like what conditions you have that you think are service related. Uh, and then that'll go through a whole process. It'll be adjudicated. You'll be sent out for exams. Typically you're gonna be sent to a private doctor mm -hmm. um, and it all works pretty quickly. They, they kind of uh, contracted it out. So you're gonna to go to the closest expert that is VA qualified to make that assessment on you. Mm -hmm. um, you'll get paid to go there. They'll pay you mileage to go there. Uh, and then you'll get the assessment and then that doctor, whether it's VA or private, more than likely it's going to be a private doctor. And then they're going to send that information back to the VA and they're going to look at it and determine whether it was service connected or not. And then it'll go to an adjudicator. And then that person will decide at what level, right? That how, how does that impact your life and how severely it does? And then that's where you get your percentage from. And uh, a note about percentages, it's a weird calculation. So this can be frustrating to some veterans because you're like, I have 20% for hearing and 30% for my knees. That's 20 plus 30, that equals 50. Not necessarily, right? The way it typically works is like, how much of those things affect your overall life? So that might actually be 40%. So it's not always like a one-for-one -one addition. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Uh, you'll get, you know, you can get like 50% for something and 10% for something else, but you won't be at 60. You'll still be at 50 because they're, they're kind of, when they give you the overall rating, they're, they're basically overall rating. How much is this impacting your life in general? Does that right. mean, if, you know, so that, that can be confusing and frustrating for some veterans. There is a pretty good resource out there um, called a, a VA good calculator. If you Google that um, you can kind of go in there and you can see, if I have different disabilities, what will my percentage, you know, what was my percentage in different abilities? How many dependents do I have? And what, what my payment is going to be and what my overall disability will be. So that's, that's a quick way to kind of gauge like what you think, what, what you'll probably be at. Um, VA.gov is a, is a great resource. You can go on there. You can get a profile at any hospital. You can get a My Health eVet profile. Um, it's a great profile to have. If you go to a hospital, you can get upgraded to a premium account because they'll verify who you are. You can get more in-depth information, but you can follow your claims process along in there. And you can also find a whole bunch of other things at va.gov uh, once you log in and have a, have a My Healthy Vet um, account. Uh, you know, you can get your certificates of eligibility for your home loans or find out how much GI Bill eligibility you have or look at your VA health records. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good website to have. So I do encourage veterans uh, to get a, a My Healthy Vet account, and then you, it's all right there on VA.gov. It makes it a lot easier. What have you been hearing from the, the vet community, veterans you know from both your era and not, about the passing of the PACT Act and how it's going to help them? I think it's, um, for the most part, exciting because many of us were exposed to different things. And I think it's also nice to just have it in your back pocket, right? Like, you don't know what health um, effects you could have later, right? Like, I'm 38, relatively healthy, but, you know, if I develop brain cancer in two years, um, it's going to be nice to know that, like, that will make it easier on my family and myself to, like, get those benefits if it is a service-connected disability. Um, so I think that that, if there's a, there's a great peace of mind thing. So I think that that's probably what most veterans are, are excited about. Like, we all, when you start getting a little older, you get a lot more, um, happy about being in good health, right? We don't think about it when we're younger. Um, but, you know, you also start to become a little bit more aware of your mortality, right? Your body hurts more, you know, mm -hmm. and you're just, you know, and you're longer for you to recover from getting hurt. Um, so it, it's really nice to have that, that peace of mind that if something does come up later, it will be a lot easier and you're not going to have to fight as hard to get those benefits. So I think that with, when speaking with veterans, I think that's the, that's the most important thing. You mentioned earlier that it's good for um, representatives to sort of understand that, that when they send our servicemen and women into harm's way, that they, we should be covering them and protecting them, not only in the battlefield, but when they get home. Um, in, in a lot of ways, many of our representatives, a vast majority, are civilians. But my next question is, what should the regular civilian like myself understand about the PACT Act? If I, if, you know, if, if I were to talk to a veteran about it, what should I know um, about this? Um, I think that just it's uh, that it's providing much needed uh, health care uh, and it's going to provide better access for people who may have lost that access uh, and make it easier for them to legally get in within the VA health care uh, and, and get the help that they need, um, whether it's now or in the future. And I think that's probably the most important part about it. Mm -hmm. And uh where does it go from here? So we've, it's been passed, 
there there's some processing time it seems like it might take a while for some you know claims of benefits to see, to be processed how is the va going to handle this huge influx of of applications or you know claims uh you know where do we see it going yeah so uh if you're not familiar right the the veterans health administration where all the hospitals are is separate from the veterans benefit administration so that's mm-hmm. two separate kind of entities under the va umbrella uh, the VBA, the Benefits Administration, is going to be the one doing all of the claims mm-hmm. for injuries. They are hiring a ton of people. Uh, they have been for uh, over a year in anticipation of, of this and some other legislation that passed. Um, so they are going to be prepared to, to keep with those those uh, t- the timeliness of those applications. That's what they're so they that's what they're doing. They're hiring a bunch of people um, on the healthcare side. There's going to be a phased-in approach to the eligibility uh, of of when people become eligible, depending on when they served. Uh, so then that that is going to be part of that as well. So they're going to phase it in and work through those processes, and then uh, doing outreach, and then the whole time doing outreach to people to make sure that they understand. So the other big benefit of that burn re- burn pit registry, which we talked about, is that like they have a roster of people now that they can reach out to and say, "Hey, you're now eligible," or "Hey, you need to come in for this," or Hey, this was this was passed, or you know this this needs to uh, this is something that you are not eligible for. So that that's the other big piece of it. So I think on they're working both sides of that at, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Ryan, uh, this has been a really great a lot of great information here. I, I want to make sure that we cover everything that you'd like to cover before signing off. Uh, so anything else we should know? I think that the most uh, the best part about this is that uh, you know veterans are going to get the the help and healthcare that they need. Um, and that's a good thing. And I'm glad that we could come together and, and, and make that happen. And I hope that it continues to move forward smoothly. There's always going to be some bumps in the road, but I think that uh, taking care of our veterans is, is something that, that we need to do. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that it happened. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks for your time, Ryan. Uh, for anyone listening, please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube for you, so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. Uh, and if you want more information about the Peck Deck, check out our descriptions. Uh, there's a wealth of information online. Uh, you can always email me at Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org. Um, or if anybody has a question for you, Ryan, I know you work at the Vet Center. Is that oh, an avenue that somebody could take to get more information? Yes, sir. Absolutely. So I work at the Pittsburgh Vet Center. You can reach any Vet Center uh, resource by going to vetcenter.va.gov. Uh, there are over 300 vet centers across the country. We provide free and confidential uh, mental health counseling and readjustment counseling to veterans and their families. Uh, and you can come here for more information on the PACT Act, more information on, on getting into VA healthcare, and more information on applying for uh, service-connected disability. And we would be happy to help you in our phone numbers answer 24-7. Thank you so much, Ryan. I really appreciate the time and the info, and we look forward to seeing everyone on a future episode of The Scuttlebutt. Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank both of our sponsors, the first being DND Metal Recycling and Auto Salvage. They began as a small hauling and used auto parts operation in the Pittsburgh area in the late 1970s, but they've grown into a full-service metal recycling company with two locations, Lawrenceville and Tarentum. DND accepts all types of metal, both ferrous and non-ferrous, that may be generated by industrial manufacturing, construction and demolition, small commercial entities, as well as individual customers. 
They have a wide variety of material handling equipment and are capable of managing any type of job in a timely and efficient manner. You can contact them for quotes and availability at D&D. &D. That's D&D &D Auto Salvage. Dot com. Uh, thank you so much to D&D. &D. Uh, they've been a sponsor for quite some time, and we really appreciate their support. Uh, the second being Tobacco-Free Adagio Health. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and to getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health, so they want people to quit, and they have classes and nicotine replacement therapy and a popular quit line, which is the easiest number to remember ever, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew, snuff, and other nicotine products like vaping. Finally, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all of what Tobacco-Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org, or you can watch our recent episode with Tobacco-Free Adagio Health on the Scuttlebutt, uh, where they talk about a lot of the programs that they offer for those who are looking to quit. Thank you to both of our sponsors for their continued support of the Scuttlebutt podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks.